Well, good morning. It's summer, huh? Yeah. Last week I had a sweater on. <laughs> now I'm, you know, I got thin blood too, but whatever. So, but man, it's nice to, to get in the car and just feel the warmth. Oh, it feels so good. And, uh, but yeah, anyway, hey, well, glad to have you all here and especially for those of you that are visiting with us as guests, thanks for coming. And uh, Scott mentioned, but don't forget to stop out at the uh, Welcome Center on your way out. Uh, if you're new here, for more information, we have a gift for you. We'd love to uh, uh, meet you in that way. Well, hey, uh, over the years, we've used phrases um, that remind us of significant, significant events in history. And uh, they're the kind of phrases, things that are designed, put together so that we never forget those significant events because they've impacted our nation or our lives or a lot of people, whatever it may be. For instance, you'll know what I mean. Remember the Alamo? How many of you are around then? Yeah. Okay. You you use that. Some of you are raising your hands. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody here was there, but still they use that phrase many times as, all right, let's suck it up, we got a work to do, remember the Alamo, and they charge ahead, or or you might say, remember Pearl Harbor. Now, some of you uh, may have been around then, certainly, and would remember that, or yeah, I know more of you will never forget 9-1-1, and there's all kinds of things that stir hearts. There are similar phrases that we use to remind us of maybe lesser accomplishments or events, and yet they're still important in lives of people for different, different reasons, different groups of people. You may remember the movie, Remember the Titans. That was about the uh, 1971 high school football team in Virginia who was undefeated as they went through that, but the significance of the movie was that this is the first high school team in Virginia to be integrated, black and white playing together, and that was a major accomplishment, remember the Titans. Or you may simply just say, remember this or remember that, it's simply reminiscing. Jane and I both are in the high school reunion mode. Now, mine was supposed to be two years ago, my 50th high school reunion. And uh, Jane's was just this summer, and she had the opportunity to go out just a week ago. And so, you know, you begin to think back to high school, and it's like, remember when we... And you're talking about all the crazy things that you did or the things that happened in the classroom. And remember that time that our teacher did whatever or said... Yeah, and we go that way. We, we remember. Well, reminders are good things, Right? Reminders uh, are, are sometimes a very necessary thing. Have you ever asked someone to remind you about something so that you don't forget it? It comes to mind, hey, would you remind me? I do that to Jane all the time. I do that to Michelle all the time. And I'm, she's like, make sure it's in your calendar. Yes, well, that's why we have all of that stuff. And, and uh, it's like even in staff meeting, hey, remind me Sunday morning that... Uh, I can't forget to encourage our people to stay faithful in their giving, even while they're on vacation. Did you hear me? (laughs) That was like one of those double-edged things, right? 
an illustration, but it was a reminder. Uh, we're still above budget, folks, but it is summertime, and we're dipping down a little bit, and I just want to encourage you. Every Sunday, Scott tells you how you can give online and does that. You can set it up so that it's, re it's recurring giving so that even when you're out of town, your giving still goes to the church. It's a great way for you to do that. Just a reminder, continue to pray uh, about those needs there. Uh, reminders. Yeah, I even found when I was looking up the word remember, and I even found um, an app. I, there is an app for everything, right? And so an app that helps you remember. It's called Remember the Milk. This really is the app and what it looks like, and uh, you can get that app, and they say this, Remember the Milk, the smart to-do app for busy people. You'll never forget the milk or anything else again. Well, that's quite a guarantee. I, I don't know if that's true, but, but remembering is, is, a, is a necessary thing. Well, you know what? All throughout the Word of God, we are told to remember a lot of things. We are told to remember God. We are told to remember the things that God has done. We celebrate uh, regularly the Lord's Supper, communion. Why? To remember Christ's death until he comes. Remembering is critical. It's part of our lives as believers. Remembering what God has done can provide comfort, can provide encouragement. Uh, it can provide strength as we're going through difficult times. It can stir our hearts for one another. It can stir our hearts to love God. It can stir our hearts to obey Him. Psalm 77, verses 11 and 12. And if you uh, ever just wanted to do a study through the Psalms, looking up all the times it talks about remember or do not forget, and, and here's one, Psalm 77, 11 and 12. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. And when we sometimes begin to struggle with what's God doing, it seems like Things are going crazy and God's not there or he's helpless or whatever it may be. Remember what God has done. Because remembering what God has done is a help and encouragement to remind us that he can do it again. And uh, remembering what God has done also can serve as an example or warning. And we're going to look at some of those this morning. Uh, I found this Quote, in uh, one of the commentaries I was studying this week, and it said this, Preaching is not designed to teach us something new in every sermon. I read that and I thought, hmm, do I agree with that or not? And I got to think, yeah, I, because the rest of it, but to put us in remembrance, to call to mind things forgotten. And I thought, wow, that really takes the pressure off. If I had to figure out that I've got to give everybody here something new every week, it would like be impossible. How would I know what everybody doesn't know so that I could make sure it's something new, right? And yet the Word of God over and over and over is remember it over and over and over again. It's critical because it can put us in remembrance of the things that we may have forgotten. And so as we look at that this morning, I want you to remember. 
that God will judge false teachers and those who follow him. Now, I don't have that last phrase on this because I thought of that this morning after I had already sent my PowerPoint over and I thought, but I need to, I need to mention that. Remember that God will judge false teachers, and that's the text we're going to look at, and those who follow them. So open your Bibles with me, if you would, please, to Jude, the book of Jude, all the way just about to the end of your New Testament. If you go, there's Revelation, you know that. And then right before Revelation is the book of Jude. And we've been there for a few weeks now as we've been talking about it. If you don't have a Bible with like a hard copy in your hands underneath the chair in front of you, should be one in that Bible, page 860, page 860, uh, or the book of Jude. And we're looking now, as we were last week in verse 4, and remember the certain individuals that Jude talked about. Look at verse 4 with me, if you will. Jude 4. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Those certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago. And uh, in verses 5 to 7, Jude now is elaborating. He's now opening up about who those certain individuals were and what was that condemnation that was written about. In fact, Jude gives us three illustrations in verses 5, 6, and 7 that we're going to look at this morning for the purpose of reminding us that God will judge false teachers and those who follow them. So as we look at that, look at, let's look at verse 5 together as we begin the three verses this morning. Though you already know all this, now Jude is wanting to make sure he's not insulting anybody's intelligence, but he says that though you already know all this, I want to remind you. Right? He's saying, I'm going to tell you some stories here. I'm going to give you some illustrations from the Old Testament, and, and you probably already know them. But I want to remind you. I want you, to, I want you to think with me. And so I would encourage you. You may already know these stories. You may not. This may be the first time you hear some of these stories. But I want to remind you of them. If you've already heard them, if not, it'll be the first time and you can grab hold of it. And here he begins his first illustration. I want to remind you. In other words, remember... Verse 5, that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt. Now, if you've ever watched the Ten Commandments at Easter time, right? It's probably on other times, but you always have to make sure it's on at Easter and Charlton Heston is Moses and all the rest of it. And, and, and he comes up and you read about all of what Moses did and taking them through the Red Sea and all the rest of that. And, and here is that story. He's talking about it. Jude is saying, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. God delivered Israel from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. God used Moses and Aaron. And if you wanted to look at this on your own, you could read through the book of Exodus. Uh, chapters 4 through 14 
10 chapters, 11 chapters there that will tell you the whole story of what Jude is talking about. We're not going to dig into that this morning, but simply to say this was when Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh and said, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh at first said no, then he would say no, and then change his mind. And finally with the 10th plague, which was the death of the firstborn, and, and that's where we learned about the Passover, which has implications for the Lord's Supper, right? We've talked about that, those kinds of things. And ultimately, that is what Pharaoh said, get out of here, and sent the nation of Israel out of Egypt and out of the slavery and uh, chased them down. And this all climaxed at the Red Sea when, when God split the Red Sea. Remember, remember, as he was standing, Moses lifted his rod up, and there it was, and they went through, and then Pharaoh's army went through, and they were all killed. And you can study that back in the book of Exodus. But later, after all of that, God rescued them. But later, destroyed those who, notice, did not believe. What do you mean they did not believe? I thought they got out of Egypt. I thought they believed God and and they did the Passover because any of them who got out of Egypt there, you know, that, that's one of the things they had to do unless they wanted to lose their firstborn. But Israel got to the promised land. Soon after their delivery from Egypt, they sent 12 spies to check out the land. And uh, uh, we're told that in the book of Numbers. Now, for this part of the story, you could look at Numbers 13 and 14. If you're taking notes, write it down and, and read through it later on. It's one of those action-packed verses. I mean, chapters. It's just all kinds of stuff going on. And so they sent 12 spies out to the land of Canaan to explore the land and see what was there and check out the, uh, the goods and the enemies and the food and all the rest of that. And so they did that. The spies came back, reported. They showed what they brought back. They had the, the grapes. And, and I'd always seen, uh, not often, I guess, but from time to time, I'd be in people's living rooms or dining rooms or whatever. You, you would see this carved wooden thing of these two guys with carrying a stick, and, and on that stick was a cluster of grapes, and two guys carrying a cluster of grapes. How big must those grapes have been? Well, that all came from this, and they were huge grapes. I don't know how big, basketballs, I don't know, tennis balls, but whatever. That's what happened, and so that's where this took place. And, but, but then the spies, at the end of the, what all they'd seen Gave some real negative commentary. We can't go, though. The, the, the land is great. The people there are giants. The cities are all walled. We could never take over that land. Well, Joshua and Caleb, who were also two of the spies, in other words, the ten spies gave the bad report. You, you remember the song. We've referred to that at times. And if you remember your Sunday school days or children's ministry days, the ten, ten were bad and the two were good, right? The ten were bad and two, two were good. I'll get my math right, right? But, but that's what we're talking about. Joshua and Caleb are the two who were good. And they said, no, 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 don't listen. We should go. We need to go take the land. We certainly can do it. But the ten were told gave a bad report. And the nation of Israel listened to them. The nation refused to entertain the thought of idea uh, or idea of going into Canaan, they refused to enter the land. And in Numbers chapter 14, Numbers chapter 14, we read what happened in verses 11 and 12. 
when the whole assembly, we're told in verse 10, talked about stoning Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron. And here the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said, verse 11, to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Do you realize what God's saying to Moses? All right, I've had it with these whining Israelites, these complainers. I'm tired of their grumbling, and, and I'm, uh, they don't believe. I'm, I'm tired. I, I'm, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to give you a new nation. Really? Wow. Get rid of all the grumblers and complainers? Wow. No, that's not Moses' reaction, right? Moses goes on. He says, God, you can't do that. What would the Egyptians say? What will all the nations around us say? They'll say, ah, see, God brought them out of slavery, and now we can't take care of them. So he wipes them out and starts all over again. Oh, that's a really good thing. Moses says, no, God, you can't do that. Please do not do that. And so we get down to, to, uh, to verse uh, 29 and 30, and, and this is what God says, okay, I won't do that, but uh, here's, here's what's going to happen. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the, in the census and who has grumbled against me. How many of you here are 20 years old and older? Seriously. Raise your hand. You remind me of that AT&T commercial when they're all, you know, what time is it? And they're cheering. And no, I really want to know what time it is. No, I really want you to raise your hand, 20 years old and up. All right. If you were in the nation of Israel, you'd be wandering around for 40 years until you died. Woo! That's what happened. And he says then, verse 30, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Why? Because they did not believe. They chose not to follow God. They knew enough to trust God all the way up into here. They'd had the promised land laid out before them, but God says, everybody 20, year old, 20 years old and older, you will die in the course of the next 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. God judges false teachers he judges unbelief he judges those who follow false teachers as well you want to look at a, a text and we're not going to go there this morning but if you want to follow up as well study through hebrews chapter 3 hebrews chapter 3 verses 7 to 19 we could spend some time there but I don't want to get off track because you got the gist of what Jude is saying. And so here's the whole point of Jude's reminding them of the unbelief of the nation of Israel and the fact that 20, those who were 20 years old and older would all die over the course of 40 years. What does that mean? Why is Jude reminding the churches that he's writing to there in the first century of that story. Well, no one who claims to know Jesus can presume upon God's grace. Just because we believe that that's all we got to do and everything's going to be hunky-dory. 
We can't presume on God's grace or his mercy or his forgiveness. Just because you initially chose to follow Jesus Christ, just because you even maybe were baptized, doesn't mean that that's all we need to do as followers of Christ. Now, now listen carefully. It does not mean that your future is secure without ongoing obedience. It doesn't mean that you can just claim, I walked the aisle, I prayed the prayer, I know Jesus, I was baptized, I'm good. But you live as if you never never knew him. That would appear to be what the nation of Israel who were delivered from Egypt but would not go into the land of Canaan. Privilege brings responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required, is what the Scriptures teach us. Now, here's what I want you to be careful that you're not hearing me say. I'm not saying that that means you have to work to keep your salvation, not at all. Nor am I saying that you can lose your salvation if you don't do certain things. That's not, what, that's not the point. There's too many other Scriptures in the Bible that tell us that that's not the point. But those who are authentic followers of Jesus Christ, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, you will demonstrate the genuineness of your salvation by responding to the warning that Jude is giving. If you know Jesus, if it's real, if you made an authentic exercise of faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, you will want to say, I don't, I don't want to be close to that. I believe. I want to follow God. I want to trust God. I want to do what he wants me to do. And this is not a work salvation. We're not suggesting that you have to be here every Sunday morning at 9.30 or you lose your salvation. Or that you have to read your Bible every day of the week or that you lose your salvation. Or that you have to give Every Sunday, or that you lose your salvation. No, that's not what we're saying. That's not what Jude is saying. What he's talking about here, I believe, is that faith without works is dead. You can talk about your faith all you want, but if there's nothing works-wise that give evidence that your life really has been changed. And that's what's going on here. And those apostates and false teachers who once claimed to know Jesus, but were walking away from their faith, walking away from Jesus Christ. Jude is warning about that. God will not, he will never pass over sin, but he is patient. That's what Peter was talking about in 2 Peter chapter 3. God is patient. When the question was, was there, the Hypothetical question, well, hey, or the rhetorical question. Either way, hey, uh, I thought you Christians take Jesus is coming again one day. What's the deal? He hadn't come yet. You guys have been saying this for a long time. And Peter says, hey, you know what? God's being patient because he desires that people be saved and come to the knowledge of God. But even though God is patient, he will judge sin. We are told that God will destroy those who do not believe. And that's what he did here. And he wants false teachers today and those who follow them to know that if they turn away from the living God, even though they may have thought, looked like, acted like, talked like once in a while, 
they were followers of Christ, they will be destroyed. You see, because the unbelief and disobedience of the nation of Israel, 20 years old and up, demonstrated that they really hadn't believed God. Remember. Let me give you one more thought in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. This is what John said. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. He's talking about the church. Probably in Ephesus. They went out from us. Those who were of the spirit of Antichrist. If you go back and read 1 John chapter 2, you'll find that out. And when they left, they went out from us because they were not really from us or of us. They didn't belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So do you belong to Jesus today? Oh, yeah. I made that decision years ago. I was even baptized. Well, how are you doing today? Is there evidence that your life really was transformed by your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? They went out from us because they weren't really of us. Illustration number two, the rebellion of certain angels in verse six. The rebellion of certain angels. Look at verse six. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned. Now, remember, he's saying, remember this also. Remember those who God delivered from Egypt but destroyed because they did not believe. Okay, now remember the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. Now, not all the angels, uh, but those who did not keep their positions of authority, those who were with God in heaven, which was all of them initially, all the angels. But we're told here that some did not keep their positions of authority and abandoned that position, abandoned heaven, rebelled against God and left. Now, the question has to be in your mind, well, who are these angels? What does this mean? What's he talking about? Well, there's two major options or interpretations of this, and, and there is not, uh, there's much debate, not a real solid consensus on this, but here are the two major options that Jude is referring, first of all, to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, when we were told just before the flood, because that happens later on, right? Just before the flood, we find out that uh, in those four verses that a group of men known as the sons of God uh, who are fallen angels, and that's what this position says, these angels here are fallen angels in Genesis 6 who became the sons of God, who took on human bodies and married the daughters of men, human women, married the daughters of men and had children and procreated a race of giants. Now, that's, that's what that view is. And that was a very solid, memorable, traditional perspective for the Jews. 
as Paul or as Jude is talking about this, the Jews would have been familiar. There was a lot of tradition about that very thing. There's another option interpretation, and that is that it was the original rebellion of some of the angels that resulted in Satan being kicked out of heaven. When Satan was kicked out of heaven, expelled from heaven by God because his pride lifted him up against God. When that happened, that some of those angels with Satan at that point, that's what he's talking about. And the reason I say some of those angels, because it couldn't have been all of them. Because there are angels alive and well, fallen angels alive and well today that we call demons. Who along with Satan are out to ruin and wreak havoc in the lives of believers. But these angels who rebelled against God, were kicked out of heaven, fallen, and were told left their positions of authority and abandoned their proper dwelling. That would be the other option as to who they are. And uh, I believe that second option, the original fall of Satan with some of the angels at that point, were what Jude is talking about. Uh, I believe that is a more... I think that is closer to what we should understand as, as being the identity of these angels. But quite honestly, the issue at hand is not their identity. That really is an aside. You say, oh, that's a good way to get out of not knowing who. <laughs> honestly, I could sit and tell, I don't believe it's the sons of God or the angels, the fallen angels. That's a, a popular perspective because I don't believe that fits here because I don't believe that in Genesis 6 that the sons of God were angels, fallen angels. And, and that's another whole study because if I jumped into that this morning, we'd never get anywhere, all right? That would be it. We'd be here for another hour, right? You ready? All right. Anyway, Here's the point. The issue at hand is just that these just as these angels gave up their positions of authority, so false teachers and apostates who rebel against God also have given up their positions of service and given up their opportunities to bring glory to God because they've walked away from him, they've rebelled, and they also will be severely judged as well as those who follow them. They will be judged for leading others away rather than maintaining their position of authority before God, the false teachers, the apostates. That's what Jude is saying. Understand this. This also is in line for those false teachers who rebel against God. Illustration number three, the immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah, verse seven. Look at it, verse seven. As in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffered the punishment of eternal fire. We spent a few weeks, about a month ago, on the whole question of homosexuality and, and all that scripture says about it, all that the Bible teaches. And we started here in Genesis 19 um, it, with Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And now Jude is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, he says, and the surrounding towns, and you can look back and see what those towns were, but they gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. Gave themselves up to doesn't mean just once in a while. That means they indulged in excessive immorality. That's what was going on in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it absolutely was the, the language in Genesis 19, the language here in Jude verse 7 is such that both the word choice and the grammar that's used is clearly a reference to the homosexual practice and lifestyle of these people that Jude is talking about. It was perversion and excessive immorality. And then he goes on, and his conclusion was that God's judgment, they serve. God's judgment on them serves as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Because that's what God had for those cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and their surrounding cities who were involved in the immorality and perversion. You say, now why is Jude reminding them of that? Because his conclusion is that God's judgment, his punishment of eternal fire on these cities is an illustration of the same judgment that's what he starts out by, in the same way, on, as the same judgment that will one day fall on those false teachers and those who follow them. Those false teachers who we saw back last week in verses 3 and 4, who, who have uh, given into ungodliness and immorality and ultimately denied God, they will be judged by God. This same as he says here, uh, eternal fire will judge these false teachers, just like God judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it will also judge those who follow the false teachers. You see, Jude is every bit as concerned, not just about the false teachers, but those who may follow them. Because the false teachers are out to lead others away from the truth, to have people follow them. And remember we saw like stealth fighters, stealth airplanes, we said they have secretly slipped in among you so that the church doesn't know, so that God's people don't know they're really there. They are really the sheep in wolves clothing, or the wolves in, let me get that right, the wolves in sheep's clothing, Right? And he says they're dangerous. So what's the bottom line of all this? Is Jude just giving these believers, these churches, an Old Testament history lesson? Is that what's going on here? Is that all this is? More information? Oh, great, man. I went to church and went to the Bible study and, and I got more information. That's great. Well, God's word is never just about information. It's about transformation. And Jude is talking about these three Old Testament historical illustrations so that the, the lives of the believers and the churches that he's writing to understand their need to, to be transformed by the truth of the Word of God. That truth which they should not fall away. He says, you need to contend for the faith. The bottom line is don't ever forget 
He's, I want to remind you, I know you know these stories, but don't ever forget that God will judge false teachers, that God will judge apostates, that God will judge those who give the appearance of knowing God, but by the way they live and with the things they believe as they've walked away from the faith, from the truth, God will judge them. Okay, and, and I'm not sure how that brings about transformation, you may be saying. Well, so let me say, because it may be when you hear that, good, get them. Get them, God. Get, get rid of them. Judge them. But that's not why he's doing it. He wants us to know that false teachers will be judged. So if there are false teachers amongst them, which we know there would be, they secretly slipped in among them, he said. They need to hear that message. But also those who may follow those false teachers need to know that. God will judge false teachers and those who follow them. So, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. That's what, that's what we've been talking about. How do you do that? Well, in the situation here, how do you know all of this? Well, you know the Word of God. You know the, the, the truth. You under the, understand the faith that was once entrusted to God's people, verse 3 is what Jude said. You, you know that, and you're continuing to learn. You're studying the Word of God, not, not just so that you have more information, but so that it can change your life. That's contending for the faith. As we stand up, but if you're going to contend for the faith, you've got to know the truth of the Word of God. Because otherwise, you won't know whether you're following a false teacher or not. If we don't understand the truth of Scripture, if we don't know the faith, we won't know whether we're following false teachers. We've got to know the Word of God. So how are you doing with that? Are you growing in your knowledge and understanding? We've got a, a few groups of men. I think maybe a few women here and there who are meeting in what we call D groups, discipleship groups, meeting on a regular basis. One of the things we're doing is we're making sure that we're reading through the Word of God on a regular basis. And that we're memorizing the word of God. And, and the same way, we don't read the word of God every day just so that we can check the box and say, oh yeah, good, now I'm, now I'm giving evidence that I'm a Christian. No, we read it so that we know it, so that it transforms the way we live. We're not memorizing verses of scripture just so that we can say, oh, I memorized that verse. What's next? I got it. We talk about you memorize it, you learn it, you use it. And so I wanted to practice what I preached this week or I didn't really have a choice because I'd memorized for this last week Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Monday morning, we got a text from my daughter who was pregnant that she was in the process of losing her baby. can't tell you what that verse meant. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Wow. I sent that to Abby and Chuck. I said, you got to have this That's the transforming power of the living word of God. Filled with all joy and peace as we trust God. Even in a miscarriage. The word of God. It's powerful, folks. And if we're going to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to God's holy people, we must know the word of God so that we don't follow the false teachers who will be judged. And as we close this morning, let me give you one thought because here it is. Here's wrapping it up. Again, you see, Jude is not just given a history lesson. He's using what God did as a means to change our hearts. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, these things, and he's talking about the nation of Israel, and he's talking about what happened. In fact, one of the things he mentions is their refusal to go into the promised land that Jude already mentioned. But here Paul's talking about it. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Why? Why do we need to know? What example? What warning? Here it is, verse, 13, verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That's Jude's challenge. God will judge false teachers, those who walk away from the truth, and those who follow them. Contend for the faith, Father. Thank you for the warning. Thank you for the example in the nation of Israel. And as we saw this morning, not so that we don't forget those stories, but so that we don't forget your, the outcome and your judgment on those who do not believe who rebel against your placing them where they are, who choose to be involved in immorality, they will be judged. And God, don't let us forget that. But God, remind us too that any of us who may follow, burden our hearts as we contend for the faith, we got to know the truth of the word of God. 
to dig into it, to know it. So that we know the difference between the true and the false. God help us to contend for the faith. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We will stand as children of the promise. We will lift our eyes on him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward, till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Huh? Walk by faith, not by sight. If God has stirred your heart this morning, you say, you know, I, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you because you can make that decision today. You can know Jesus Christ, the God of hope in your life. He can forgive your sin and give you eternal life. And folks, for those of us who are here who do know Jesus, oh man, know the truth so that we can contend for the faith. Make sure that we understand things are happening fast around us. I'm sure you know the overturning of the abortion law this week. You've probably heard that. And, and folks, that, that is a great thing, but it's probably going to create a whole lot of chaos do we know the truth do we know how to talk about the God of hope we need to know how to contend for the faith not just argue emotionally because that doesn't really usually get us anywhere we have truth that we use to talk to the lives of people truth is what changes people's hearts not our emotion God's truth and there's those kinds of illustrations all over the place for us. We need to contend for the faith. We need to know what we believe so that we can know the difference. If you're here as a believer, I trust that you'll determine to dig in more than ever before to the truth of the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the hope. you've given us in the person of Jesus Christ because of your love for us he died for us to provide forgiveness of sin to all who would believe thank you father and if there's anyone here today who doesn't know the peace the joy the hope that they can only know through Jesus Christ. Oh, God, I pray that you'd not let them leave this building today without talking to someone. 
And for us as those who know you, who are living in this chaotic, crazy world of fast-changing things, different than we've ever seen them before, God, help us to contend for the truth of the word of God and all that we believe, to know the difference between what's false and what's true, and to stand for that truth. God, use us in this day of opportunity to let our light shine brightly for the glory of God. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Direct you this week for his glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. And as you're leaving, don't forget, we've got coffee down in the family room, and we've got classes afterwards. We'd love to talk with you about it. Stop by at the Welcome Center to find out about that.